Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> it's good to see you all, and I uh, hope that you are doing okay as we head into uh, what is an exciting couple of days. And we've been talking about this uh, for a little while through this week, that it is kind of a season when it feels like there's a lot going on and uh, there's lots of things to organize. You've probably got lots of stuff that's on your mind as we head into today and then tomorrow. It's really, really important to just kind of be present and to recognize that it is amazing that we get to join together and to be able to celebrate what we get to celebrate over these few days rather than just get overwhelmed with all this stuff and let's get through it and then Boxing Day will hit and we can just exhale. We don't want to miss it. There's lots of good things that we get to do over these next couple of days and so I hope that in the midst of all that's going on for you, uh, you're able to find some time to uh, just tune in and to recognize that Jesus is with you in the midst of it. And so we're going to spend a bit of time looking at that today as well. And uh, so I want to start our message by asking you, what is your favorite Christmas movie? So what is your go-to Christmas movie? So call some out. Home Alone. Yes, very good. Love Actually. Controversial one. Some people are very anti that, so, but, yep. The Grinch. Elf. Yes, very, very good. Yep. Any others that we haven't named so far? Die hard. There's always one. Always one. Yeah. Polar Express. Yes, very good as well. Christmas Carol. Yes, that's a good one too. Nice. So in our home, uh, these are the three go-tos. So Christmas with the Cranks, which is a lesser known one, uh, based on a John Grisham book called Skipping Christmas. Uh, but it has become very quotable in our house, and uh, so we generally watch that one. Uh, and then Elf absolutely is a must-see, uh, so that's going to happen this afternoon. And then one of our Christmas traditions, which is kind of my Christmas tradition that I have forced on the rest of our family, uh, is to watch It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve. And so normally what happens on Christmas Eve is that we have a Christmas Eve night service, and so come along, we do all of that, and then get home at 9 or 9.30 or 10 o'clock uh, and Ali does a phenomenal job putting a nice grazing platter out and then watch It's a Wonderful Life which is not a short movie, it is a couple of hours and so generally I stay up way later on Christmas Eve than I should have uh, and regret that every Christmas day. So this year I'm very excited because we're not having a Christmas Eve night service tonight so I'm going to get to watch It's a Wonderful Life at like 7. <laughs> so wait until tomorrow, I'm going to be on and ready to go. The overwhelming theme of lots and lots of Christmas movies uh, is love. Uh, not all of them, but pretty much all of them. I was like, Elf, but then I was like, no, Elf is a love story, definitely. Uh, Polar Express, probably not so much, but most Christmas movies end up in one way or another centering on the theme of love, but generally doing that in a pretty sickly way. That ends up leaving us a bit like many of us are going to feel kind of late tomorrow afternoon after we've eaten too much, probably eaten too much dessert, sweet food as well. And so today we want to explore this theme of love as we wrap up our Advent series. So uh, over the last four weeks through the season of Advent, we've been unpacking what it looks like uh, to explore the four themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy and love. And uh, we've been doing that to recognise that Advent is this season where we're building a sense of expectation about what tomorrow is, to not have it sneak up on us, but to be able to get there tomorrow excited about being able to celebrate it. And so uh, we normally, with Advent, focus on building a sense of expectation about celebrating Jesus' birth, 
and celebrating Jesus coming as one of us and all of the different characters that are a part of the Christmas narrative and the prophecies that are a part of that. And all that's great, but there is also an element of Advent which is about building a sense of anticipation that Jesus is going to come again. And so at some point, we will get to experience hope fulfilled and peace and joy and love in all of its entirety, the way that we were always supposed to experience it when we pass from this life to the next and end up in heaven. But in the meantime, we live in this now and not yet reality where those things, hope, peace, joy and love, are not necessarily our lived experience. And yet Jesus is the one who invites us in to be the ones who help others to have a taste of what those things look like. And so we have been spending some time throughout this series exploring what that looks like and then reflecting with a Christmas song and then taking some time to do something creative as a way of saying how do we take these themes out into the different circles that we walk. So the first week we uh, talked about the idea of doing a prayer walk to be able to go and to pray for our neighbours or our local school or local businesses and to take some time to pray for a sense of hope but also to tune in to see what are the signs of hope around us. Then the second week we made peace candles to remind us that we are given the privilege of being peace creators, to shine the light of Jesus' peace in all of the different settings that we move. And then last week we talked about the importance of hospitality to give people an opportunity to experience joy. And so we talked about the idea of planning a feast, whether that's going out for coffee with someone or all the way up to having a bunch of people over and having a gigantic feast. What does it look like for us to plan something where we can invite people to experience joy? And so if you haven't had the opportunity to take those things out, like, oh, yes, that's a good idea, should probably think about doing those, but Christmas is tomorrow, then I won't have to think about it anymore because it'll all be over and we'll stop doing it. No, no. (laughs) The beautiful thing about all these things is that they're kingdom values, and these are the things that we get to live 100% of the time. So if you haven't had a chance to do any of those, would encourage you to prioritise that in the next few weeks as an opportunity to say, what does this look like? So today we are going to wrap things up, and apologies if the word wrap triggers some things for you because you've got lots to do today, Uh, but we're going to wrap things up by talking about the theme of love. And we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about what love is and unpacking the different meanings of love that we find throughout scripture and the centrality of what love is to everything that we believe. But I want to just zoom in on three specific passages that are all related and help us to understand what love looks like and which to me are at the very core and centre of all that Jesus is about. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, If you've got the Bible app on your phone, then you can open up to that as well, but you can also go to our notes section. Uh, So you can go bottom right, tap on the little three dots there where it says more, and then go to events and Richmond. Uh, We're going to be jumping around a little bit, so if you want to have the notes open, then you'll be able to see all the different passages that we're going to look at. But Matthew chapter 22, we're going to read from verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the two groups of religious leaders, one that's more focused on the practicalities and one that's more focused on what the law looks like and interpreting that. And they were getting a bit fed up with Jesus, and so they got together to work out how can we get Jesus. So let's find a really good question that's going to trip him up. And so verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we have this guy who is an expert in the law. So there are over 600 Old Testament laws that if you're Jewish, you need to adhere to. And so there are some guys who, that's their whole job, is to just make sure everyone knows what they are. What are the things you're allowed to do and not to? So he comes to Jesus and says, 600 is a lot to remember. What's the most important? What's the one that you've got to nail no matter what? And so Jesus quotes from something called the Shema that is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Words that someone who is Jewish quotes and prays every morning and every night. This beautiful reminder that God is the only God and our role is to love God with every part of who we are. It's actually a really, really beautiful and powerful practice to say if I start every day reminding myself of who God is and that my role is to love God, and I finish every day reminding myself of who God is and that my responsibility is to love him, a lot of other things fall into place. But Jesus actually says that the most important thing to do is to love God and to love the people around us. That our love of God with every part of us should then naturally flow into our love for the people around us. The message translation says that these two commands are like pegs. Everything else in the Old Testament Everything in the law and the prophets hangs off of them. Another image that I read this week is the idea that they're like two door hinges, that you need both of them for the door to be able to open properly. Now, Mark also writes about this interaction. So in Mark chapter 12, we have very similar verses. In verse 28, we read, One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Here Jesus quotes the whole Shema. So in verse 29, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. But here Mark takes things a little bit further. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbour as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realising how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So here it's interesting because we have the uh, teacher of religious law responding to Jesus and saying, well said, teacher. Good work, Jesus. I love your answer. Very nice. You've said the truth. But then takes it a step further and says, I realize that what you're saying is that it's more important for me to love God and love people than any of the other sacrificial things that I could do or any offering that I could present to God. This is the most important thing. And Jesus says, well done you. You've got that right. You are not far from the kingdom. You're living out what it means to embrace everything that God's got for you. Luke also then records this interaction, but he does it a slightly different way. So in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29, we read, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? So it's interesting because Luke tells this from a slightly different perspective. And we don't know whether this is just Luke kind of saying this is the way that it played out or whether this was a separate interaction where maybe the first interaction happened separately and then this teacher of the law had this conversation with Jesus. But this time Jesus doesn't answer but rather replies with a question and the teacher of the law responds with it instead. But then he's like, "Eh, I don't know though, like do I really have to love everyone? Like really? Surely not those people, and surely not in that way. So Jesus, like, loving everyone, that's a big, big ask. So who do I really, really have to love? And so Jesus tells a story that is then very familiar to many of us called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And because it's so familiar to so many of us, I'm going to tell it slightly different as the parable of the Good Bikey, just for something a little bit different. So there was once a young guy in his 20s who had parked his car at Marion Shopping Centre ready to go and do his Christmas shopping. It was getting late, the shops were open late, but he was there late just as the shops were about to close because he had to pick up one final gift before he got to Christmas. As he was walking across the shopping centre car park, a gang of rowdy teens came and attacked him. They started abusing him and mocking him, and then they beat him up. They pushed him to the ground, stole his phone, and stole his wallet. So there's this poor guy in pretty bad shape lying on the ground in Marion Shopping Centre car park. A pastor came out of the shops who was on his way to a midnight Christmas Eve service. He was in a pretty big rush, and he thought to himself, I'm sure that security will sort this guy out. Like, that's someone else's responsibility. I have to get to our Christmas Eve service. I can't be late, so I've got to go. So he walked to his car, and he drove off. A youth leader who was from another church also came out of the shops and saw the guy lying on the ground. She was absolutely disgusted at how he looked and thought he's probably on drugs or drunk or both. And so she made a very wide berth around him and then got in her car, locked the doors, and then drove off. Well, then a bikey rode up. He was also coming to do some fairly late minute, last minute Christmas shopping, but when he saw the guy, he stopped his bike immediately and went over to him. Are you all right, mate? He asked him. The young man couldn't even respond. He could only groan. And so the bikey immediately called triple zero and was helped out by a very kind young dispatcher whose name was Matt. When the ambulance came, the bikey paid the $500 excess just in case the other guy didn't have any insurance and he gave him his phone to call his girlfriend and his parents and some extra cash just in case he needed it. And then he left. He rode off with no expectation of anything in return. So which of these three do you think was the most like Jesus? It's such a phenomenally powerful story. But we can also find ourselves thinking similar things to what the religious leader was thinking. And this is where it starts to get tricky because when we talk about love, it often starts to feel like obligation. I have to do this. And if I don't love people the way that Jesus said that I should love them, then God's going to hold it against me. He might not necessarily punish me, but he's certainly going to hold stuff back from me and stop me from being able to experience all of the good things that I want to be able to experience. I wonder if you've ever had that thought. 
Maybe it was about the importance of loving other people. Maybe it was about something else. If I don't do this, then there's going to be consequences and God's going to hold something back from me. The challenge is all of that misses the whole point. When we fall into the trap of thinking that we have to do anything that's about following Jesus out of a sense of obligation, then we're going right back down the road of religious law. It's all about these things. And if I do enough of them, hopefully God will accept me. And so we end up starting to ask questions like, Jesus, what's the baseline minimum that I have to do in order to pass? Or as the religious leader asks, what's the least amount that I need to do in order to get to heaven? How do I get eternal life? What's the minimum that I need to do? But love is not supposed to be obligation. Love is supposed to be a response. Love is supposed to be a reaction. And so one final piece of scripture for us to have a quick look at today comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who doesn't love God doesn't know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. As we head into celebrating Christmas tomorrow, what we celebrate is that love enters into our human existence, enters into the world through the person of Jesus. And what does that love look like? It isn't just a big mushy sentiment where Jesus takes on the starring role in some Hallmark Christmas movie where everyone hugs it out at the end. We believe that God is love, that the core and essence of everything about God is love. And Jesus comes to show us exactly what God is like, to show us exactly what love is like in human form. And so throughout Jesus' life, we see him not just teaching about love, but doing radical acts of love over and over and over again. And we know that Jesus ultimately comes so that we can embrace and encounter that love in our lives as well. Everything necessary has been done for us to experience love in our lives because of the action of Jesus, most significantly and powerfully demonstrated in his choice to die on the cross for us. And we know that when we move from this life to the next, when we get to heaven, we will experience that love 100% of the time, and nothing is going to get in the way of it. But in the meantime, we're invited to be people who allow others to experience God's love. As we continue to understand more and more about how incredible God's love is for us, how much has been given to us, we wrestle with this question, why on earth would I want to stop sharing that with anyone else? If it's filling me up so that I'm overflowing, I just want to share that with everyone that I encounter. We get to create opportunities for others to experience that love in the ways that we interact with them and the things that we do for them. But it's not out of a sense of obligation. We don't do it because we have to. We love because we know that God loves us. We love because we know that God loved us before we had a chance to get it right and to prove that we deserved 
to be loved. We love because when we love, God's love is brought to its fullest expression in us. So we're going to take a couple of moments to reflect further on what that looks like uh, before we move into our creative activity. And to do that, we're going to listen to a Christmas song that's a little bit less familiar called Mary, Did You Know? Now, I will say there was some controversy about using this song because when we were doing some of the planning, one of our team members said, I hate that song. (laughs) Of course Mary knew. An angel come and told her, this is who Jesus is going to be. Of course Mary knew. And that is true, but part of why I held my ground and persisted is because I think it does stretch it out a little bit further. Did Mary know that Jesus was coming to rescue us, to save us, to be the Messiah? Yes, obviously, an angel told her all of that. But did Mary know all of the things that Jesus was going to do in order to show us God's love? Did Mary know all of the sacrificial things that Jesus was going to do in order to be the Messiah, in order to achieve what he did. I think there are a number of great examples in these verses that are helpful reminders for us as we head into tomorrow, that Jesus comes to show us what love looks like, and love always looks like action. So let's take some time to reflect, and uh, then we'll move into our creative activity.